Welcome to In The Zone with Deremy and Jose. I'm Deremy, and today I'm joined by author Ed O'Devin, who wrote a very special book, Going 15 Rounds with Jerry Eisenberg. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is a real pleasure. No, well, the pleasure was all mine, being able to read this awesome book about a legendary writer who I knew about but did not know the scope of how deep and how just the variety of his great career so ed what drew you to want to pursue this book with uh to write with jerry well Jeremy, i was born in in the bronx and grew up in new jersey uh in morris county and um i had read the newark star ledger um, as far back as i can remember among other papers in the new york city area and jerry was always in the sports section, his his column uh, mugshot, and he always had the big assignments: the Super Bowl, the Triple Crown races, boxing, NFL, Olympics, all these cool assignments. And um, as a person who aspired to work in sports media, as far back as I can remember, I always thought of Jerry as one of my heroes, as one of my role models. And uh, I moved to Arizona at age 15, and didn't get a chance to read the paper as much as I did when I was in elementary school or uh, junior high school or first year of high school. But luckily, uh, my one of my uncles and my father would uh, sometimes clip the newspaper or send the full sports section out to me, and I got to still follow Jerry Eisenberg on occasion. And then in my, in my early 20s, for example, the uh, Internet enabled us to read the sports uh, coverage anywhere in the world. So I really started admiring his work even more. And um, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to research his career more. And that idea blossomed into the idea of a book at, at some point. So let me ask you, as a growing up as a young sports fan and a young you know, journalist fan, what hit you about Jerry's writing that made you, be, you know, really admire him? Well, he packed a punch with... Um, with his uh, literary style, short, powerful sentences. He had a great uh, use of imagery in his, in his articles. He always had quotes that had meaning and uh, you know, great dialogue sometimes between people in the columns. He also um, he had a great sense of history and an eye for detail. He, he used his column to sometimes tell funny stories he also used it to raise awareness of issues, both moral and um, historical. Mm. He really could write about anything related to sports, and uh, I really thought that was great. Well, I still do. Yeah, absolutely. That's really awesome. So was there kind of nerves on your part approaching someone who you personally admired and in the you know sports journalism world is a legend how was that kind of approaching Jerry about this this idea that you had? Well, let me take a step back for a minute, Jeremy. Um, many many years ago, um, I wrote a column when I was at the Arizona Daily Stun in Flagstaff, small newspaper uh, close to the Grand Canyon. Uh, if you drive from Flagstaff, about an hour away, and I wrote a column about people's favorite NFL players, 
think this was about a rough in 2003 or 2004. Mm-hmm. I moved to uh, Japan in 2006. And um, I emailed Jerry and several other people around the country, including George Vesey at the New York Times, Bill Gallo at the New York Daily News, and asked them, who is your favorite NFL player or players and why? And uh, Jerry emailed me back. I thanked him. I don't remember today who he mentioned in that column. <laughs> I'll have to go back and dig it up. But uh, he was approachable, and he got back to me. He was friendly. He thanked me for asking him. And uh, a couple times I emailed him over the years, including in 2007 when he retired from day-to-day full-time column coverage. And I congratulated him on his um, semi-retirement and moved to Nevada and uh, his epic series he wrote in the uh, Newark Star-Ledger about his career. And uh, it, it sort of established a, um, a level of camaraderie and friendship with him. And um, so that helped for me to think of him as somebody that maybe I want to uh, explore an interview with or interviews with later on. And fast forward to 2014, and I'm still at the Japan Times, and I approached him about doing a long-form interview series for my website, edodevonreporting.com, which at the time had a WordPress uh, handle as part of the name. But um, he said, sure, I'd be happy to speak to you. Uh, I just don't know right now when I have free time. So we kept in touch, um, exchanged a few emails over the next year or so, And after he took a vacation with his family to Hawaii um, in the summer of 2015, we we finally um, lined up a time to speak. And that first interview with him, covering a huge amount of topics, from his childhood to his love of baseball, to boxing, to his books, to his uh, newspaper role models, to uh, all kinds of things. We spoke for for more than three hours in that first interview. So... He was more than accommodating, and um, that first interview became a 15-part book, uh, sorry, interview series on my website, and it evolved into a book, into an ebook at first, and uh, we, we, we kept in touch and did more interviews, more email follow-ups, and it kind of grew from there. Wow. So now, for you, I, I'm really curious about how it was, because you see someone with such a long career, you know, since I believe like 1951, Jerry's been writing for, you know, being a legendary columnist for in Newark. So, and he's covered so many different sports and so many different legendary figures. How was it for you to try to kind of establish this awesome style that you did, but like to kind of like make sure like to narrow it down? How did you come up with the, your reasoning for how you laid out this book? Well, I tried to read um, I tried to read a random mix of like 50 columns that he wrote. And also when he received the Red Smith Award in uh, 2000, um, I wanted to highlight some of the things that were highlighted by the Associated Press Sports Editors uh, panel. You know, his um, his longevity, his sustained excellence, his friendship with Ali his coverage of the Super Bowl, of boxing, of the World Series, of college football. I wanted to highlight a number of things. So I started with those topics and sort of branched out a bit too. Horse racing had to be on the list. 
he had he had covered more than 50 uh, Kentucky Derbies, for example. So he knew the jockeys, he knew the trainers, he knew the horses. So I wanted to get some of the backstories behind his, some of his favorite stories. What what resonated with Jerry Eisenberg about covering the Belmont Stakes, for example, when Secretariat, um, you know, just won by this epic amount of lengths? Um, what was it like traveling to uh, Grambling University to interview Eddie Robinson and establish a rapport with him? What was it like um, writing columns in the aftermath of Roberto Clemente's death and then revisiting a year later in his hometown and at the site of the, the closest uh, spot on the map to where the crash took place and uh, you know interviewing his uh, widow and going back uh, many, many years later uh, 30 years later to report on on just how the the legacy of Clemente uh, grew and grew and grew in, in throughout Puerto Rico with um, with a youth baseball field and with charities and with all different things that's really so a monumental task but i think you did a great job honestly like from reading it like to really divide and break up such an epic career that you could probably do you know another five or six books on i think you did a really great job and i must say so in in really splitting up such a an epic career in the variety of sports because uh i'm glad you had mentioned it we I always heard, and I did get a chance to see the clips, but I wasn't born for Secretariat's epic run back in 73, I believe. So when my dad would talk, my dad was in love with talking about Secretariat. So when I would hear him talk about it, i go, well, it can't be. Why? I mean, horse racing's cool, but is it really that epic the way they're talking about it? But reading this book and hearing, you know, how Jerry covered it and how just legendary and it's something that, I made me kind of connect more with my father and understanding like this was a this was an event in in horse racing but in sports that if you saw it it's up there with so many others like great epic events that you won't forget. Well, let's take a step back for a minute and in the first 50 years of the 20th century roughly uh the big 4 of American sports were Major League Baseball, boxing, college football, and horse racing. Mm -hmm. So Jerry had that uh, connection growing up with horse racing, and it carried over into his professional career well into the 21st century. He's still writing about these races in 2021. Yes, and I like the... Because uh, I had always wanted to see a triple crown winner myself. I had never seen one, you know, being... 32 years old so when american pharaoh won i was like that was a bucket list as a sports fan and i kind of liked when i read your book that that mattered for jerry too that he you could tell he had waited so long you know since affirmed in 78 that he was waiting so long to see another triple crown and how special it was for him to see american pharaoh pull it off i thought that was really great well the energy and the excitement of the of uh, the horse racing community from the fans to the announcers to the jockeys to the trainers to the owners he captured that very well in the the coverage of the 2015 uh triple crown with american pharaoh i mean it wasn't just uh it wasn't just reporting about all the years of failure previously 
or the you know the the times that a horse had won the first two legs and lost the third one but he he, he contrasted it very well with with affirmed and with secretariat and all those years in between absolutely he really did and you can really tell with from reading the book but all and reading also Jerry's you know articles that I really I'm glad that you kind of laid out what the epic you know sports were in the early of 20th century because nowadays boxing doesn't really have the allure that it did for so many years and you know it's a shame that a lot of times like so many great you know boxers are kind of losing that you know that fame that they had that, that you know when a big fight happened it was like the whole country kind of stopped and that happened just as much with anyone with Muhammad Ali and you know Jose and I just did the 50th anniversary of the Ali Frazier one fight and I kind of wanted to know Ed how was it for you when you're doing this book hearing Jerry talk about his relationship with you know as Muhammad liked to call himself the greatest I, I thought, I thought, and I still think that hearing those uh, stories and the insights from Jerry about their friendship uh, became an important part of the book because it showed that Jerry was a real people person, and that his column writing wasn't just about you know doing his job and making a deadline. Um, and Ali was such a you know charismatic figure such a interesting guy who never stopped talking who always wanted the to be around the crowd and to be with people and um you know it was just uh, it was full of energy and full of uh both laughter and excitement and uh funny tales and also um you know the moments of um the moments of when ali was uh banned from boxing jerry talks about about that as well with you know joe frazier really supported Ali during that time and then when he came back he you know he was taunted by him as well so it shows the flaws of his character Ali mm -hmm. absolutely and this is just and you know sorry hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot too much but just as someone who also is a fan of sports journalism and you know the great legendary writers of of the past and you know there still are great writers today i don't want to take anything away from the present but mm -hmm. what made me love the, you know sports journalism and what makes me honestly love doing a podcast about classic sports is mm -hmm. reading people like jerry back in the day and then different other great you know journalists you know, it was so much, it was about the human interest and the story. It wasn't just about the box score of who won and who scored so much. And, you know, it was about like really getting to know the personalities, getting to know these, these individuals, whether the players or the coaches or scouts or whoever. And do you think that today's sports writing kind of lacks that? Or do you think it still kind of keeps up with that? Like, you know, like what you saw great writers like Jerry did where, Jerry got to the heart of a of the athlete or the heart of a coach, not just simple X's and O's or who won and who lost. That's a great question. And um, Jerry, Jerry grew up and was influenced by great writers. And he had a great editor, both at the Newark Star-Ledger and the New York Herald Tribune. Stanley Woodward 
was a great wordsmith and a classical, um, classically educated man. He he spoke and read Greek and Latin. He um, he was a former uh, former soldier, and he wanted the human interest in the stories. He didn't care about only about the X's and O's or the stats, and that really helped push Jerry forward. Absolutely, and I think that's really key for I think a lot of people who listen to the show or will read this book who haven't read it which I want everyone to do is please read this awesome book that Ed did a great job with and really if you don't know such about a great figure in journalism and Jerry Eisenberg is that's what really makes us love sports and connect with it way beyond just you know the simple box score you know jose and i will talk about on here where we were and who we were with and what we were doing or what was our mindsets at that time in our life watching certain great games or you know how influential certain athletes or coaches are on our way of life and our way of thinking and a big part of that we we wouldn't have that if we don't have great writers like jerry to really paint these pictures and tell these stories and tell the stories of the hardships and the ups and downs and you know the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat that these you know players and coaches went through and i think that that's what really is the core of what makes sports great i I wanted to mention a couple guys that jerry suggested should be included in the book and there's a chapter about heroism and courage that was kind of like an it was kind of an aside from our main conversation, but Jerry spoke eloquently about the wrestler, Greco-Roman wrestler, Jeff Blatnick, who overcame cancer and went on to win the Greco-Roman heavyweight, super heavyweight, I should say, gold medal at the 84 Olympics. That was a great story, and Jerry provided a real backdrop on the human drama connecting Blatnick with his parents and the hospital, the nurses at the hospital, and just his whole career, I thought that was really special. And it showed that Jerry, you know, he could have focused on, um, like, at the final, the gold medal match. He could have focused on Blatnick's great technique or a certain move or when he pinned the guy or got a certain point. But the story that resonated with Blatnick was he overcame cancer, he came back and trained, worked hard, and won the medal. And um, in that same chapter... I also, um, and this is completely something I should credit Jerry with, he suggested um, discussing uh, Jim Eisenreich, mm-hmm. a former outfielder with the uh, my, the Florida Marlins and the Toronto Blue Jays, Minnesota Twins, going back many, many years. And the Phillies. Who, had, uh, ter- who has Tourette's Syndrome. And uh, the, the obstacles that he overcame to become a successful player in the major leagues was also something that resonated with Jerry and uh, to him those two guys really were heroes and displayed courage and I think and I'm glad because that was a really eye-opening because for me I am a fan of amateur wrestling I got into it later in life and I would have never guessed that Jerry had covered amateur wrestling ever until reading mm-hmm. this book. And I, I knew Jeff Blatnick's story just very recently over the past few years getting into amateur wrestling. And it was very mm-hmm. cool that, you know, I think that's what it, to me, I love about it. And as I've 
grown older and I think Jerry's been a, you know, you don't even realize it. Like for me personally, that like Jerry Eisenberg influenced me by, even if it's not maybe your favorite sport, when you, you know, sit there and try to really look and find, you know, the heart, the courageousness in an athlete or those tales of people overcoming adversity, it doesn't matter if you love the story. I mean, excuse me, the sport, it's mm-hmm. more important about getting that story, getting that human interest appeal. Well, I think, I think what, what, that, what that displays is if you're at the Olympics, you, there are, and if you're a columnist, there are endless options on a, any given day for an assignment. Uh, maybe he doesn't have the, certain columnists don't have the, the option to write about anything. But if you're a general columnist, especially years ago, basically any topic is, you know, presentable as, a, as what you're going to write about. And Jerry picked the perfect time to write about wrestling on the day, you know, in the aftermath of Blatnik's uh, gold medal. And he, he wrote more than one column about Blatnik. But mm-hmm. on that particular day, that was a great story to, to pursue and to write about. He was completely spot on with picking that assignment. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you, you know, being a fan of Jerry and, and you had had a relationship with him, so you, you knew a lot about his writing, but was there something either about Jerry personally or about something, you know, that he covered that kind of surprised you when you were going about this process of, of writing this book that you didn't know about Jerry? I guess, I guess the easiest way to try to explain this is the totality of his connections to people within the sports world was so strong. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. Mm-hmm. He wrote the, I, I mentioned to you before the broad, broadcast that Jerry wrote Roselle, a biography. And years ago, decades ago, I should say, Roselle, Roselle mentioned he really didn't want a book written about him. He kind of, funny, he was the commissioner of the NFL, but he also had a private life, and he didn't want everything to be examined. Every person that he came across in his life, he didn't want those people to be interviewed. But he said, I trust you, Jerry. I respect your writing. I respect how you present news and stories. And if anybody's going to write a book about me, I want it to be you. I'm paraphrasing uh, Roselle as as re- related through Joe Brown, who was uh, in, who worked for the NFL for more than 50 years, starting out as an intern, and he was the longest-serving employee at the office when he retired earlier, um, I, I want to say about seven, eight, maybe ten years ago. And in that book, the person that wrote the foreword for the book was David Stern. Wow. So you have the, the two commissioners, the two most influential commissioners of the last 50 years in pro sports, both tied to the same book that Jerry wrote. I think that really, um, you know, illustrates his, his standing within the sports world in sports media by those who know and respect, you know, the most influential writers. Absolutely. And this is just an observation from someone who growing up would always you know jerry eisenberg for me was one of those faces if you're watching a documentary or a biography on someone in the sports world you had a lot of clips with jerry and one thing i always got from him 
and I don't know how you felt, Eddie. Obviously, you know him, and I don't. But that a man of character, but also a guy who he, he's a tough guy. And I'm not talking physically, but I felt like when I saw him, like he was going to tell it like it is. And you know, if he thought thought that you were right, he would say it. He thought if you were wrong, you know, he would call that out too. And I'm wondering when you hear like guys like Pete Rosell and David Stern, and just me, just kind of being curious, like. I wonder if that's what kind of drew guys like that who could be tough themselves, but drew that that to Jerry is that, hey, they knew Jerry was, if he believed something, he was going to stick by his guns, and he was a man of principle. Man of principle is a good phrase to use, Jeremy. Also, I would say that, that Jerry was not about taking cheap shots or about ripping people just for the sake of ripping people. Mm-hmm, right. When he took a stand on an issue, it was because he believed in that issue, and believed in that point. And um, another thing that's connected to that is if you, a lot of people I spoke to for this book and through email as well, guys like uh, Wallace Matthews and Robert Lipsight and uh, Jeremy Schapp and John Shulian, to name a few, you know, they always talked about the contemporary uh, careers uh, parallels a little bit, uh, but Howard Cosell was a few years older. But Howard Cosell um, sort of sought attention for himself on TV. And he was also, you know, always kind of constantly craving the attention. Whereas Jerry, who also took a big stand on a lot of issues, including Ali, and what he felt was his right to fight and not to be, you know, punished for refusing to serve in the Vietnam War. He, you know, Jerry got bomb threats and... uh, people uh, sending him hate mail and people uh, all kinds of things like that, you know, to scare him, to try to scare him and to persuade him not to write what he was writing in the 60s. But he stuck to his guns, as you said, and continued doing it. Uh, and and the connection to Cosell, I should say, the parallel that people mention is Jerry, you know, stood up for these issues without seeking the attention or the limelight. Whereas with Cosell, it was also about the attention, wanting that attention, you know, to be considered like the guy. Right. Um, did they get along? Did Jerry and Howard have a good relationship or was it just strictly professional? Like, how, did I don't know if you were able to talk to, to Jerry about that a lot, but how, how did they have a relationship? They did. They they were they were they were professional colleagues. Um, I would say they didn't always get along. They had their fights, and they were both uh, uh, combative sometimes. And uh, Cosell could be a, a hard drinker and drink too much, and 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 his words could be influenced by liquor. And they got into some heated exchanges, and uh, they were not always on speaking terms. But when Ali. I'm sorry, when, when Jerry worked on his project, the documentary about Grambling and about Eddie Robinson, um, Howard Cosell, you know, went to bat for Jerry and funded the project, you know, th- through ABC. You know, wow. got, you know, he served as the producer for the documentary when other places, you know, did, really didn't want the project. They didn't want to focus on, you know, uh, a historically black college or they didn't really want 
a Jewish guy as the narrator and produ you know director of this project. You know, so it it, it sort of faced you know multiple um, obstacles to overcome. But then again, Cosell was Jewish as well, so he also he he saw some of the prejudices that Jerry faced, mm -hmm. and um, and helped him in that regard as well. Very fascinating, really fascinating, and. Now, you know, Jerry's been honored in so many ways that, you know, rightfully so with this legendary career. But when I look at, at, you know, the contemporaries and also the people who talked in this book who were influenced by Jerry. You know, you mentioned Jeremy Schapp and, you know, Jim Lampley. And, and I know you had, you know, George Solomon, you know, called him one of the giants in sports journalism. For a guy like Jerry, who, like you, you know, you said, is not an attention-seeking guy, you know, being able to see like the book that I know you you worked so hard on, and seeing all these great names in sports journalism give so much praise, like how how did Jerry receive that? Jerry, Jerry, um, for him it was very gratifying, but he's not one to gloat on and on and on. Like he, you know, he, he talks about, you know, his appreciation for the kind words of um, some of his colleagues and, you know, and the, and the respect they bestowed upon him. For example, um, Wallace Matthews um, and Jerry are very close and they're separated by 28 years or so, 27 years in, in, in age, age difference. You know, it's like his son. And uh, when... When Jerry uh, wrote his last boxing book, uh, Wallace Matthews was at the bookstore in uh, Staten Island, New York, and um, asked Jerry about what was it like writing writing a column in, re in remembrance of Jerry uh, of Muhammad Ali after he passed away. And this is at a book signing event, you know, when it's supposed to be a you know upbeat and you know positive you know celebration of the project and a publication and. Know, meet and greet the fans or you know readers and you know jerry started crying in before he gave his answer and um so he he's had a great connection with wallace matthews and the friendships with writers are something he always cherished broadcasters too no it's it's incredible that I, I know for me, I know Newark is like a big city, but I don't know, like in, in Jersey, but I don't know if Newark is um, as known nationally. And not always, you know, when it is known, brought up, is not brought up in a positive light, sadly. So I, I think, and I wonder, has Jerry talked to you about the pride he has in, you know, really sticking by Newark? And I know Newark has stuck, you know, the paper stuck by him as well, but that he's not you know, from the Washington, no disrespect to these papers, like the Washington Post or the New York Times, he wrote for the Star-Ledger in, in Newark, and he's that's where he's always written and has really been a, a an iconic figure in sports journalism for this paper in, in Newark. Those are, those are all good observations and interesting uh, talking points. A um, couple things that Jerry mentioned over and over again, with me and others over the years. Um, he loves his hometown and uh, he loves uh, connecting with his hometown wherever he is. Um, and this, this includes 
you know, still being a part of the institution of the Newark Star-Ledger. There's pride there in the continuity and with the readership that spans generations. He mentioned years ago that when, you know, he had been nominated for the Pulitzer Prize many, many times. And to him, it was political, the fact that he wasn't actually chosen as a winner. But he said, he said what was more important to him was the affection and the the readership that he developed and that, that followed him through the Newark Star-Ledger. That was more important to him, you know, the fact that teachers would assign elementary and middle school students to read his columns in class. And sometimes, you know, he would get letters from them. That was always special to him. So there is a, there is a sense of humility, humility that was connected to all those decades at the Newark Star-Ledger, which, like you said, started in 1951. And after he was a, a soldier in the Korean War and after working at a couple other papers, including the Newark, New York Herald Tribune, he returned to the Star-Ledger in 1962 as a columnist at the urging of uh, his former editor, I told you, Woodward. Mm -hmm. He pushed him to go back. He said, you're ready to be a columnist. And he's written columns consecutively every year since 1962. But one thing that one thing that several people mentioned uh, throughout the research for the book, guys like Jim Lampley and Dave Anderson, who had passed away, guys like Ira Burkow mm. and George Solomon, that if Jerry had worked for the New York Times all those years, or the LA Times or the Washington Post, his name recognition would have been greater. But you can find no sports journalist in New Jersey you know, with greater with greater recognition than Jerry. So he had a he carved a niche and it was a special connection with readership that, you know, continues to this day. Absolutely. And and I think you know, and you're right, and, and those those all those names, Ira Burkett, all legends in their own right. Uh and there I I agree with them, like maybe the name would have been bigger, but I mean so many great stories that are in this book and that Jerry covered you're not going to really have if he's not at Newark, you know, like as far as the he was there on the ground floor seeing like Bill Parcells as a coach rise with the Giants. And, you know, I know national papers could cover the NFL back in the 80s, but Jerry being with Newark got to really know Parcells and, you know, make that connection. Like some things you're not really going to have if he's with, you know, Chicago or Washington Post, like. There's also like the benefits we have there too of it. I feel. Well, he he fostered relationships with people locally, but also regionally and nationally, and even internationally. You know, he was keenly interested in Cuban baseball and Cuban boxing. Yes, and wrote about that as well. That's and I think that's what's really, I think, is inspiring for me personally. Ed is. Um, Sometimes I, you know, I'm going to speak about myself a little bit, like I have a lot of interests and they kind of can scatter and I'm like, oh, but you know, I heard this one time before and I start, as I got older, I believe it where curiosity is a gift. And from seeing Jerry and, and reading his articles of the past and reading this book, it motivates me and inspires me like to, you know, really keep forging and keep working and fire, you know, put some fire behind that curiosity because that's what I get. Well, I get many things from reading this book, like many lessons. But one of them is that Jerry was a, it was and is a curious person and wanted to know. 
and he didn't stick to just, you know, which is okay if you want to, but just basketball or football. He was curious about other sports. He was curious about, curious about other places of the world and curious about other people. And I think that's a really great lesson that I got from reading this book. Well, we can go back again just for a moment to, like you asked about the current state of sports media. And I think personally there's an overabundance of focusing on stats and, uh, you know, uh, like repeating what is said in social media, how that becomes part of the story, and also analytics and like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is the first team to shoot 25 threes in the first quarter, for example, in the NBA or Maybe not 25, but, you know, like a huge number. No, I got you. Uh, But one thing that – I'm losing my train of thought here, but what was it – oh, one thing about about Jerry's writing that might be – you can say is consistent over the decades that that Wallace Matthews pointed out, and I'm paraphrasing him here, but he talked about how Jerry really um, showcased the humanity within boxing where, you know, it's the most basic of sports – two combatants and the, you know, the, the referee in the ring and, yeah. uh, and how he, he really had a powerful way with words and imagery and how, if you compare boxing coverage, which Jerry excelled at and maybe run of the mill coverage from any other journalist covering baseball or the NFL, for example, where Wally mentioned how in the NFL, Oh, you know, Tom Brady might've thrown seven touchdowns this week, but then, you know, he said, well, I don't give a crap what, what, uh, you know, about that story. Like, you know, if, if he had, uh, if he threw 20 interceptions, I still don't care. It's, you know, with boxing, it's, it's, you know, one fight every, you know, five months or whatever, where, you know, these people's lives are on the line where football, there's a game next week. Mm. Very true. Very true. And, and I think that's, that's something I try to, portray and keep working on it through this podcast and just through conversations my you know my whole life is like you said that you you know you use boxing and and i know jerry did that with boxing but in every sport it's just that humanity and and also what i loved about jerry is i was actually you know talking to a a friend of the show jack silverstein who is a uh a writer and like a historian based out in Chicago and we're talking to him about how, you know, in these past, I would say five years, people are, there's this raging kind of like debate or conversation about, Oh, sports being involved with like political or social issues. And that that's not how it used to be. And why is this happening? And just, you know, just from your book and, you know, knowing Jerry's been this great writer since 1951 I, I knew it, and other people did, but there's a lot who didn't, that sports and these issues of the day have always intertwined. And now people are acting like this is a new thing, but this has been going on since, you know, for you know over 100 years, that these issues of the day, whether it's, you know, social or political, intertwine with sports. And I think Jerry is someone who, throughout his writing and his career, has shown that. That's a great, uh, great point. Uh, well, well stated, Jeremy. I would also, you, you mentioned just now, you said social and political. I would also throw in uh, a related phrase, uh, religious or, you know, religious bigotry. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, I focused one of the chapters in the book about Jerry's childhood rabbi, about yes. his about the influence of his rabbi on how he views the world and just his moral compass. Because um, Rabbi Yochum Prince had escaped Nazi Germany and moved to the United States and continued his career and was outspoken against racism and against, you know, bigotry against Jews and against uh, racism against blacks. He uh, marched with Martin Luther King. And um, this is a guy who was up the street from Jerry and who visited his family house and befriended Jerry's parents. And one of the one of the real memorable moments for me in researching the book and hearing the story again was Jerry talking about how the, the rabbi, who was an immigrant, whose children were born in the United States, he wanted his children to have an American connection. So he asked Jerry's father to teach him about baseball so they could understand, you know, a staple of American life. Wow. That's all. That's an unbelievable story. And it's, it's, I loved reading that. And I'm, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it, to me, it just shows that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and all these people, you know, whether we realize it or not, they have an influence and an impact on our lives as we get older, positive, sometimes negative. And to read about Jerry's rabbi and how that shaped him and, you know, being someone who fought for equality for everyone was really an inspiring, you know, part of the book. And I'm glad you and Jerry decided to, to put that in there. I, I thought that was an absolutely necessary part of the book, personally, because mm -hmm. I thought it connected to many things in his, in his continued, you know, continued coverage of issues that are related to the world at large. Th this idea of sticking to sports, who, who's, who's to say, who's to decide that? Is there some special panel that gives out, you know, permission to speak? I mean, it's, that's absurd. Absolutely. It was absurd 50 years ago, 75 years ago. It's absurd today. And and after the book was published, um, the ebook version was published on Jerry's 90th birthday in September. Um, a couple of things, you know, a couple of things that, you know, storylines that are continuing to this day. I'll focus on one real quickly. Um, the, the, the voting rights in, in, in Georgia, how... They, the, the state legislature keeps um, tightening up the laws and making it more difficult to vote. Mm -hmm. Well, last week, the day before the, the day before the MLB officially announced what it was going to do, Jerry wrote a column advocating for MLB, especially the commissioner, you know, calling him out by name, to move the game out of Georgia, move the game out of Atlanta, the, the, the 2021 MLB All-Star game. Next day... The announcement came that that was what that was what was was decided, but his column was a very eloquent and hard hitting, and powerful moral statement about the league needing to take a stand and show that the state has to be, you know, has to exist in the twenty first century. It can't keep you know um, pulling back on progress and you know re bringing back laws that you know were were in place 50, 60, 70 years ago. Absolutely. And, and think yeah. about it. Jerry, Jerry's 90 years old, and he's still writing columns that pack a punch, uh, taking a moral stance. To me, that's, um, that's inspiring and also just um, eye-opening. Absolutely. 
and I, I couldn't have said it, you said it perfectly as it's it, eye-opening and inspiring that, you know, you, you fight for what's right. And no matter what, no matter, yo, oh, that's past, you know, my day is done. No, as long as you can, you fight for what's right. And I think you're right. It's, it's eye-opening and inspiring. And my, uh, my last question for you, Ed, is just an observation from reading this book, but I, something I really liked and I tried to find, especially now doing the podcast with Jose, is in talking about big subjects or big topics, but finding those people or individuals or teams even who, you know, kind of get second fiddle. It, you know, maybe this team of that era gets talked about a lot, but hey, there's another team that was just as great and they don't get really talked about now. And in reading this book, you know, I see like with Larry Doby, and we all talk about rightfully so Jackie Robinson, but I loved like in the in the book, Jerry talking about Larry Doby, or with you know back in the day with Mantle and Maris, everyone talks about Mantle, but you know this book has Jerry talking about Roger Maris or even Eddie Robinson. If you look at you know the great college coaches of of the '60s of that era. Oh, you talk to Bear Bryant, or you talk to John McKay, or even a Joe Paterno, but uh, Jerry went and talked to Eddie Robinson, who coached at Grambling, you know, a historically black university. Is that something that you kind of noticed with Jerry, or I don't know if you talked to him about it, but he kind of went for, a lot of times, those people who, for whatever reason, get lost in history and really shouldn't get lost. I think I think Jerry was one of the first columnists to really recognize the intersection of race and and sports and the changing uh, demographics of sports and I don't think it was so much that he found them found them you know not uh, not important I think he found them being overlooked and he got to these he he got to these stories a lot quicker than a lot of others right. in some cases you know decades before. And that's that's what I you know feel. I, I think that there's a lot of people in in history, but even you know, we keep it to sports history who are overlooked, who their importance is just as great as other individuals. And I think, yeah, it seems like Jerry from like the the readings of his articles and in this book, he kind of had like a talent for finding them and and writing I, about them. Yeah, absolutely. He. He also had a talent, as we mentioned before, of once he once he had the story or the stories, he established he established that relationship, that friendship, and it continued decade after decade. For example, um, he visited uh, Grambling University in the 1960s, and he was the first white reporter to to both visit the campus. And then he actually stayed on campus in the dormitories with the students, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a separate room. And he ate with them in the cafeteria in the morning, you know, the, the players. Uh, and at, at first, at first, Eddie Robinson had a natural curiosity, like, what is this guy's agenda? Why is he here? He, he wasn't, you know, super warm to him at first, but he saw that Jerry was trustworthy and he asked good questions. He had a natural curiosity, like you said. He connected with the players. He was he was pursuing a story for a magazine in in New York that you know that was 
kind of unheard of at that time. Why are you writing about a you know historically black football college? You know, anybody would ask. In fact, uh, the original editor, Roger Kahn, for the Saturday Evening Post, rejected the idea, and Jerry took it to another magazine and won a National Writing Award for it, uh, in fact, because it was such a good story. Maybe you want to even put that link on your website. I'll share it with you later. Um, but really interesting story that he wrote that became the, the backdrop for that documentary as well. And um, Jerry, once you're a friend of Jerry's, you stay a friend of Jerry's. He went to the, um, he, he, he went to Grambling University the final week of Eddie Robinson's career in 1997. And, you know, both paid his respects and wrote stories about Robinson's career at that time. And what was powerful about it was the fact that they both had the memories and also the anecdotal um, recollections. And that's that's incredible to me that on the forefront, you know, back the AFL, which we know was a lot of a place where a lot of players from historically black universities got to to you know really play in before the NFL kind of started breaking in with them, and you know we know Bill Nunn just got into the Hall of Fame, the scout for the Steelers, and how important he was for that, and Lloyd Wells with the Chiefs, but the AFL came out. Started in 1960, so in 63 is when Jerry went down to to Grambling, and that's incredible that he really is kind of on the forefront of, you know, really bringing to light HBCUs and this great growth of talent that was there, and we saw later in the 60s and, and in the early 70s this kind of influx of great black players from HBCUs kind of hit professional football. Jerry was... A, you know, kind of ahead of the, the crowd with that. And then to to fast forward, you know, 34 years later, that relationship was still as strong, you know, when Eddie Robinson is retiring is really remarkable and really cool. I think I think uh, you need to credit, again, uh, Rabbi Yochum Prince, that Jerry was, everything isn't luck. You know, things happen for a reason in many, right. many um, aspects of our lives. But the fact that Jerry was connected to Yoakum Prince as a kid and he was aware of Yoakum's Rabbi Prince's activities in his young, you know, in his young adult years and into his early 30s uh, when Jerry was in his 30s. You know, he saw, for example, coverage of the freedom marches and the bus boycotts and other other things that Rabbi Prince was involved in, including, um, you know, the march in Washington where he he was there when uh, Martin Luther King spoke. Mm -hmm. And I think those things are directly tied to the, the using the column as a catalyst to make people think about issues that are larger than the game and the final score, and also telling the story of athletes and coaches and trends in sports that um, you know really reflect the real America. And uh, Grambling University was a great example of that. You know, in fact, we were talking about this earlier where Jerry was asked to go to Florida A&M to write about the historically black college football team there. And Jerry didn't want to do that. He he always said that that story was over-publicized and a lot of people already knew about it in the mainstream newspapers, magazines, and TV shows. But he wanted to go to Grambling in Louisiana and explore the 
what is making Eddie Robinson's program so good? What kind of leader is Eddie Robinson? How does he deal with players? How does he recruit? How does he run the team? All those things um, were really connected to Jerry's coverage. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It really is remarkable. And, and yeah, please share that link. You know, we'll post it on, on our Twitter page because it, it really is a remarkable article that Jerry wrote and about the late, great Eddie Robinson. And Ed, I want to personally thank you. I mean, not just for, you know, giving up your, your time and, you know, we had the, the big time difference. You know, Ed is in, in Tokyo and me over here in Philadelphia. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> but thank you for writing this book. And, and you know, thanks to Jerry for the, the work he's done over all these years. But thank you for writing this book about such an important figure in, in sports journalism history and giving us so many amazing stories and anecdotes and really a lot, like you said, like a lot of, eye-opening things and a lot of inspiring things in this book it, it was really awesome to read so thank you so much well thank you for having me on the podcast and i also i can't thank jerry enough for you know putting the trust in me and um you know looking at my own career a little bit and seeing maybe this guy is serious and hardworking, and you know maybe i should give him a shot to um do some interviews because um there hadn't been a long-form project in print or in digital form, you know, uh, ebook about Jerry's career. He had, he's written 14 or 15 books, but they're all, they're all from his own work. But I wanted to explore the project that gave students of history and, you know, fans of sports and maybe aspiring journalists and teachers of his subject, you know, something that was, I thought, tangible to really explore his career. And I hope, um, I hope I was successful in doing so. You absolutely were. And I know um, Jose and I and the, the people who listen, we love connecting the past to the present with sports. And and this book is a, a living, breathing example of that. It, it connects so many issues that we're still, you know, fighting today. And we're seeing that they were going on, as a lot of us know or should know of People don't, you know, maybe they just don't want to know it, but like they were going on for all these years and how important and how sports can be that it can be a, a, a tool, you know, not just for what people think, like just an athletic venture. It can be a teaching moment. It can be a way to show like to stand up and use this platform to talk about the issues of the day and these issues that are really important and, you know really can help bring us together. And I think Jerry has done that for all these years and is continuing to do that. So, you know, thank you to both of you, Jerry, for the great career and you for chronicling it in this awesome book. And you did, you did your goal. You, you reached it because this is something that for anyone who loves sports history or journalism, um, if you want to teach it, learn about it, get into it, this is the book for you. So Ed, thank you. Thank you for that very eloquent and kind uh, answer, uh, statement, I should say. Um, quickly, uh, I know you're getting ready to go to sleep soon. Um, <laughs> did you have a favorite um, uh, section or, or quote or chapter? Of, I'm just curious, of, of the book, either part one or part two? Sure. Um, I would say my favorite was the part with Ali and Frazier 
and then Jerry capturing that part where uh, that little kid comes up to Joe Frazier and talks about how, like, you know, he thinks that his dad told him that Ali, you know, really won the fight, and Joe Frazier kind of getting a little frustrated with the kid and kind of, in his own way, letting him know that, like, no, I won the fight. And it kind of <laughs> really showed to me, like, the the venom that was really inside that between Frazier and Ali and that even after he won the fight and a little kid coming up to him, it still kind of mattered to him. And he still was like, no, I'm not gonna let anyone, even this little kid. No, he's going to know I won that fight. I thought that was great. And the, the article or the section on Roger Maris to me was really cool as well. Um, I also say, you mentioned Jim Eisenreich, Jim Eisenreich, uh, on a personal note, when, you know, because the 93 Phillies hit, I was a young kid, and mm-hmm. we would go to the Phillies games at Veterans Stadium, and mm-hmm. my mom would always point out Jim Eisenreich, and that was her, and my mom's not a Phillies fan, she grew up in Carolina, mm-hmm. she's a Braves fan, but she would talk about how much she liked Jim Eisenreich, and how inspiring his story was, and I was a young kid, so I knew what those words meant, but she never went into detail, but she mm-hmm. would just keep talking about it but but she was aware of his Tourette's yes syndrome, right? yes so she and wasn't difficulties like she his wasn't career, going to tell me out of that. baseball for four or five years right mm-hmm. so she wasn't as a young kid going to go into what Tourette's is you know but she knew that story and later on I did my because I was always like why did my mom love Jim Eisenreich so much <laughs> you know I'm like what mm-hmm. and I did the research and saw and I later on asked her about it and she she knew and in great detail. My mom's a big sports fan as well. So to see that in this book, because I feel like Jim Eisenreich, I'll be honest, uh, Ed, in Philadelphia, for that 93 team is very legendary. And he's not a name that gets brought up even talking about members of that team now. And that team gets talked about a lot in our city still, but not Jim Eisenreich. So I really love that Jim Eisenreich was in the book and his story of inspiration was in the book. Because he was an inspiring figure, and I'm glad Jerry and, and you put that in there. We we could talk we could talk for the next ten years about that. Um, but uh, quickly, uh, I've been saying quickly a couple of times now. It's okay. Um, so Eisenreich, it, the story I wanted to convey was not just the fact that he overcame obstacles to play and be successful, and be on a World Series winning team. Uh, but also the fact that he established a foundation to help people, you know, be aware of Tourette's syndrome and also, you know, help people who have it and their families cope with it. So that was important, I think, to mention. And it also connects to the fact that Jerry established uh, his own MPO called Project Pride in Newark, New Jersey, which which operated for 30 years. And uh, what it did was a couple things. It it created... It created a yearly um, college football bowl in New Jersey. Uh, sometimes it was like the junior varsity team of the Navy or the Army and local colleges or Division One AA teams. But the money was always used to, to raise funds for the, for the Project Pride. It was, called the Project, it was called the Pride Bowl, and there's a chapter in the book about that as well. But the money from that, the money that was raised from selling programs and game tickets were used to fund after-school scholarships and um, after-school programs in inner-city Newark. And there was, there was hundreds of students 
who were positively impacted by by Project Pride, who got college scholarships, you know, uh, academic scholarships, who really then went back to, uh, you know, make the world a better place. And it shows how sports can be a catalyst for positive um, positivity in the world. Mm. Well, and that's absolutely. And let me, we'll ask you that then. Um, up to you if you want to go into great detail with the story. I know, you know, we definitely want the, the listeners to buy the book. So, but is there a favorite story that you, you know, when you were talking with Jerry, that like kind of really, for whatever reason, whatever emotion you felt, but really hit you like going over this? I don't think I can pinpoint one story that uh, maybe answers your question precisely. Um, I guess just the range of uh, people that he wrote about and teams that he wrote about and issues in the, even before chapter one in the book, I, I get into both in the introduction and the forward, I get into different aspects of his coverage and his career where he wrote about wheelchair basketball in the 60s. Yeah. And he, just a couple of years ago, he also, I, I quoted from a column he wrote about Co Colin Kaepernick and how he supported Colin's First Amendment rights to kneel and to protest uh, police brutality. You know, and, and look at the volatility of that issue where in the last administration of, of the of the Trump administration, where even the vice president left the game mm -hmm. at halftime as a protest for, you know, people having the right to protest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, that's that's the 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 funny part to me about that whole conversation is a lot of people who disagree with Colin Kaepernick acting like sports and these issues never existed and that they stayed separate. And um, to me, I'm like, your ignorance, it's sad and it's, it's comical because these have always intertwined. And I told someone, I said, it feels like they looked at like it was like as far as sports and social issues, it was Jackie Robinson, then skip to Muhammad Ali, and then skip to Colin Kaepernick now. And like nothing else ever happened. Like those were the only times that ever happened and that was it. And I'm like it's, it's a constant every day, every any pick a year, they, these are always intertwined and having to let people know and I, I'll I'll say it because I told him I said, "Well, you can't have it both ways because you loved the miracle on ice, right?" And I go, "Well, yeah." yeah. And I say, "Well, what what made that so great?" I go, it wasn't just about hockey. It was about the Cold War. I go, that's political. So then you can't don't you can't like that that much. Then. It's just a regular hockey game. They beat a better hockey team that day. And that's all it is, right? And they'll get quiet. <laughs> and I go, yeah, see, like, it's it, it's a social issue when it's convenient for you. I go, what about, you know, when uh, Joe Lewis fought Max Schmeling? And, you know, they, Joe, you got to win this one. Or Jesse Owens with Hitler. I go, yeah. it's a social issue when it's convenient for you. Well, well, what, what, what to me is comical uh, is the fact that, like, Mike Pence, when he was vice president, you know, he was part of an administration that, you know, kept bashing, uh, you know, the people prote protesting the NFL's um, stance on, uh, you know, standing during the national anthem, where that's the First Amendment right in, in theory. 
mm-hmm. and by 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 continue by continually discussing the issue and criticizing you know Kaepernick and saying like you know they should fire him, Trump's famous words. Well, what did what did uh, Mike Pence do by by leaving an NFL game at halftime? He was protesting something in his own way, mm-hmm. which that was also making it political. Wasn't exactly, it? absolutely. Absolutely, and that—that's what I've the second highest office in the land. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to get press coverage, and that's where I laugh. I go, it's—it's not—it's the hypocrisy. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, these issues are important, you know, when it's all convenient for you. And I'm like, there's so many great moments in sports that you love, that whether you don't want to realize it or you're just trying to to fake it or whatever. They have a political importance to them. There's a social political importance, and that's why they're big. I'm like, the miracle on ice doesn't mean anything if you if there's no Cold War. Like that. That's why people took that so, you know, it was such a great event. Like, and I don't take anything away from the miracle on ice. It is an amazing, you know, a great game and all that. Very inspiring. But I go, you realize that's making it political when you're trying to say beat the Soviet Union. That's, you know, and you talk about, you know, you know, democracy and capitalism versus communism. That's making it political and social. But when other people do it, then, you, you know, keep that out of sports. But it's all is brought into sports all the time when it's convenient for you. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to shift focus here for a quick for a quick minute. Um, sure. Ed. And I think we'll probably wrap up here uh, quite quite quickly after that. The word of the day is quick, right? <laughs> Um, you asked me really what is like maybe the favorite part of the book or favorite, I guess I would have to honestly say the favorite foundation of the book is Jerry's thoughts on and columns on and just interactions with, with Muhammad Ali. But I didn't want to make that an overwhelming focus of the book. I wanted that to be one of the threads of the book because that his whole his whole report his whole career um, from the 1960 Rome Olympics until when he passed away, Jerry knew um, Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. uh, and in his days as Cassius Clay before he changed his name, so that that need to be a part of the book. But I thought there's enough books about Muhammad Ali already, and I don't think honestly I'm going to re- have enough time to research Muhammad Ali and come up with enough new hooks. You know that are just unique, like like Jonathan Egg's book was all about Ali, and he interviewed hundreds of people. Um, I don't think I can devote two or three years just to Ali and Eisenberg. But one thing that was great that Ali spoke about, and Eisenberg spoke about, and Dave Kindred spoke about, and I I didn't get to speak to Ali unfortunately, but mm-hmm. they all really loved the book that Dave Kindred wrote about. Ali and Howard Cosell and their their connection. I think to a lesser extent, a book that was a similar type of uh, theme could be written about Ali and Eisenberg too. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't want to do that personally. No, um, and I understand. And to me, um, as a, a lover of sports history and, and as someone who read this, don't get me wrong, Ali's maybe the most, you know, up there with Jackie Robinson as like the most important sports figures of the 20th century. But... I feel like if you did that book so much on Jerry and Ali, it would it would almost lessen Jerry's great career, and not on purpose it would, but you know Muhammad Ali is a a 
a portion of the pie of Jerry's career, but there's so much to Jerry's career, and that's what I really loved about it. Like, you know, it, Ali gets his fair recognition, but it's not overwhelming because there's so many other great stories that we wouldn't have gotten as as a reader, you know, if if just Muhammad Ali and Jerry. And I think that could be, like you said, a separate book in the future, and that I would eat that up and read it. But I love that. You know, like I said, from Secretariat to Eddie Robinson to, you know, Jeff Blatnick. Like, there's so many other people that are it's amazing, inspiring stories that we wouldn't have gotten if it was just Muhammad and, and, and Jerry. Well, I, I hope that the book is an introduction to Jerry's career for a lot of people that didn't know about him. And maybe a fresh look at his career for people that did and do know about him. I hope some of the some of the comments that Jerry made in his late 80s and up until last year when the book was published, I hope some of that, you know, creates some fresh uh, perspective. But, you know, if they want the to the totality of his career, you know, there's thousands of columns that he wrote and, you know, many many other books and TV specials, sports center appearances, uh Sports Century. He did some great episodes at the end of the uh, end of the twentieth century for ESPN. Um, he's There's so a, he, much out there. He's, he's in I, uh, the Thirty for Thirty, Muhammad and Larry. For those who like Thirty for Thirty, he's you see Jerry very uh, prominent in that documentary. It's one of the early Thirty for Thirties, but one of one of right. the best ones, Muhammad and if, Larry. You'll you'll see Jerry in that too. I, I I thought my uncle my uncle Steve my mom's my mom's younger brother gave. A nice summary of what the book is. Very succinctly, he called it Going 15 Rounds with Jerry Eisenberg. He said it's a anecdotal biography. Mm. I, I thought that helped to explore what I was trying to do. I also tried to, to pick my spots with, you know, quoting from his columns directly and, you know, sometimes very small snippets from his books to help maybe hammer home a point about what I'm trying to write about in different chapters. No, I think uncle uncle steve nailed it on the head so uh you know we 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 can end it on that it's a it's a great anecdotal biography and ed you did a great job and and i hope you feel proud you know because i i know i would if i were you this this is a great read and uh i've told people about it and thank you for sharing it with our show and thank you for writing it we really appreciate it ed it was it was a real honor to write the book and a real thrill to uh, to have it finished. It, there were some bump, there were some uh, peaks and valleys in my writing schedule, and sometimes procrastinating. And I really got pushed further along. Believe it or not, or maybe you do believe it, the the pandemic really pushed me to to to, to get get quick to quickly finish. Mm -hmm. um, I really told myself the ultimate target, the deadline after reinventing the deadline three, four, five, six times was hook it, tie it to Jerry's 90th birthday. Because that's the whole arc of his career from the 1950s to now, 70 years. You know, that's that's almost unheard of. The only other person, only a couple others that have had that longevity, Shirley Povitz, Povich, um, Jerry Green, who's mm -hmm. in the book, um, a guy named Sid Hartman, who passed away last year, who turned 100 working for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. He wrote a column just uh, the week of his death. 
Those wow. are only a few others that are in that, you know, span of longevity. And that's that's a that's a Mount Rushmore list too, and and Jerry belongs right up there with all those guys. And the book is Going Fifteen Rounds with Jerry Eisenberg, a collection of interviews with the legendary columnist by Ed O'Devin. And so it's a must read. Please go get this book if you haven't already. It is worth it. And you'll it'll time will fly by because it's just fascinating and interesting story after another. So it's a great read. So going fifteen rounds with Jerry Eisenberg by Ed O'Devin. Ed, thank you so much for joining us on In the Zone with Jeremy and Jose. It was an honor talking with you. Thank you so much. And the, probably the easiest way for people to find the book is to just type in going fifteen rounds with Jerry Eisenberg on Amazon and paperback or Kindle is is available there. But on my website, there's several other places as well. Absolutely. So thank you guys for listening. Take care.